Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, welcome back, Solar Warriors. If you are new to Suncast, I just want to take a moment and say thank you. It is not lost on me that you're giving us your attention, but also the one thing you won't get back, your time. I promise that non-renewable resource invested here is going to get multiplied today. Today's entrepreneur, David Tranovicius, has been involved in a wide variety of solar projects since 2009. Notably, as an entrepreneur in the European solar power market, he has gained deep knowledge on how energy systems work, including roof mount, ground mount, facade even, of course, Our European friends are way far ahead of us on deploying different technologies. Here on Suncast, we don't get a chance as often as I would like to feature our friends across the pond who are accelerating the clean energy transition. David, since 2011, founded another company called Detra, but we're not here to talk about Detra because you've probably heard the bombshell that was dropped on the renewable energy world when they raised a hundred million series B very recently. So I wanted to get a chance to really understand this business called PV case. David as the founder is consulted for more than a hundred companies, including park solar park developers, EPCs, and, and he has some insight into through Detra and all of this consulting the gaps in particular, the utility scale sector of the market and the technology that can help us overcome the barriers, the hindrances to deploying megawatts, terawatts of solar power around the world. Today, we're gonna dig into that, the raise, the recent acquisition of Anderson Optimization here on the US. And I hope that as a listener, you're subscribed to this show. If you're not, I hope that we earn your subscription today. Click that little subscribe button, the notification bell, so that twice a week, you can get content just like this. We've got more than 600 stories of clean energy founders and startup advice dedicated to helping you build your career, your business, and help us accelerate the clean energy transition. But for now, get ready to dig in and tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we get ready for another powerful conversation here on Suncast. Okay, as I mentioned, David is coming to us from uh, across the pond, and if you've uh, been listening lately. I've been trying to just expand the Suncast repertoire. Uh, I want to know what's happening in Europe, what's happening in Australia. How can we learn from it? Because in many, many ways, it's a postcard from the future, folks. They got less land to deal with. They got more complicated um, sort of cross-territory cultural norms to accommodate, and they have way better policy in many cases, um, but they have the same struggles. How do you raise capital to build these businesses? Uh, David and his team at PV Case have accomplished some pretty outstanding feats, and we're going to dig into it with David Tranovicius. David, thank you for taking time to join us on Suncast. Thank you for having me. David, I like to kick things off with a quote. 
I'm going to give one here. And I think it's like, it's an un, I have them rotating on my background. Often they will, uh, they will cycle through every five minutes or 30 minutes or something like that. Um, the one that I'll introduce today that I think is fitting because you've gone from working for others to working for yourself, build your own dreams or someone else will hire you to build theirs. Uh, as an entrepreneur, that really motivated me as someone who struggled with this whole concept of like being an entrepreneur or an entrepreneur or a entrepreneur um, until I finally bit the bullet because I didn't want to build uh, explicitly other people's dreams, having so many things that I wanted to accomplish. I see that in you as someone who said, you know what, I can think, I think I have a better mousetrap. I can build a better widget. Is there a quote that has inspired you or that you'd like to share uh, that you hold dear? I think maybe not the quote, but the example, what the, what's the best way? I think we still need to be on that side working for somebody to understand dynamics and challenges and think about those challenges, how to solve that in, let's call it in your own way. in something, something that, you know, was never done before. Um, so mm. I, I follow that quite, quite a bit. Yeah. I appreciate that. And also it's a good counterpoint, right? It's not to say don't work for others because there's a lot that can be learned and that we have learned in our career by engaging in the process of creation, uh, oftentimes on someone else's dime as an employee. And you can learn a lot about it. And then, as you said, bring challenge, bring your own intuition and creativity into solving challenges your own way. You, um, you are out to solve a pretty big problem. I'd like to start at a macro level with how do you describe the problem that you created PV case to solve particularly? I think everyone that's on, on this podcast or in, into solar knows how solar market is growing, how fast it's growing and how even faster it needs to grow. So the biggest challenge, it, it looks like a new market, really dynamic, but in the end it's quite, by calling old school engineering a bit. <laughs> so there's many problems that you can solve uh, and it depends from each, which angle you're looking at it. So when mm -hmm. we started analyzing what's the biggest challenge for that growth and what that growth actually means, mm -hmm. we need more skilled engineers, developers, designers, installers, and all that value chain. So it used to be a bit different, especially in Europe 10 years ago, where solar projects were subsidized. When that was taken away or that dynamic changed, everyone started looking at how I can automate most of my processes. So mm. I don't need that many, you know, working people or train them, educate them and became a quite a big thing that we wanted to start solving, starting from engineering. Um, so this is how we looked at that. If you don't mind, I'm going to see if I understand. I think I uh, heard you say in the EU, there was a period of time where there was massive subsidy and with large subsidies, with an influx of capital to the market, uh, folks didn't have to be so focused on efficiency. And, in, and there was a need for talent. There was a need for growing the workforce. However, when the subsidies disappeared, i.e. the base of cash, folks realized that 
there was a need for automating the process to become more efficient, mm. to leverage the existing talent. Um, and to, as we bring on more engineers to provide them with tools to give them greater reach without needing to just throw manpower at the problem. Is that accurate? Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. And that started changing, I would say five, six years ago when mm-hmm. we started case. Gotcha. So circa 2018, 2019. So g- give me uh, an opportunity then to better understand uh, PV case. Introduce us to the business that you've built and why in particular PV case is going to help solve the problem we've just enunciated. So we started with, let's say, let's say quite a complex problem, how to mm-hmm. speed up some of the engineering processes. Um, so I used to be PV engineer myself. I was designing yeah. solar power plants drawing 80,000 cables, labeling them by hand. And it was such a big, it's just a nightmare. You, it's always like human error. It's always challenging. It's always so much work. And we thought how to automate that, how to avoid those mistakes. So we started yeah. with a small tool in-house at the consultancy. But then many of our clients started asking, so David, so what you are using because you are now delivering these projects in a different manner, in a 3D environment, much faster. Uh, so we started selling that product, but at the same time, we started, started speaking and hearing what our clients are saying and what problems they encounter every day, a part of the engineering. Mm. So we started building a end-to-end development platform from, you know, beginning of the life cycle of the project up yeah. to the end. So it's many, many products that we are building in-house. Uh, mm-hmm. And some of the challenging ones or the most challenging ones, we understood that to build those will be super complicated. And the better ways to partner up with the experts that already done that and already knows yeah. that. Um, so recent acquisition of Anderson optimization is like clear pathway why we did that. I think, you know, we are experts on the engineering side, how, how to connect both ends from, from development or site selection. This is where I think Anderson optimization were the, uh, you know, skyrocketing with their growth in the U S U S was always interesting market for us being here in Europe, but I think it would be great if my colleague Jake could explain a bit more why Anderson optimization and how we, how we met, how we integrated, how we found the way, why we should be together. I think that would be interesting insight. Absolutely. Let's take a minute then and uh, bring in Jake Anderson. Jake was the founder and principal of Anderson optimization is in fact. And uh, as we mentioned in the intro was recently acquired by PVKs. Jake, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Yeah, excited to be here. So we're going to take a small aside here in expanding sort of the definition of how to solve the problem. What, uh, what I heard from David is uh, as you begin to speed up the solar engineering process, you run into human errors and you, try start, and you start wondering, how do you automate out the human errors? And then as in this in-house tool, uh, and in his previous life as a developer and, and a PV engineer began to gain interest externally and they spin it out as a separate product. Listening to clients became really important to understand how to broaden the scope 
of an end-to-end solution rather than a single point solution, that being engineering of a large-scale solar plant. Recently, PV Case acquired your company, Anderson Optimization. Can you give us a little bit of background so that we can have a bit more of a complete picture of, uh, or a broadened scope of the problem that, from your view, looking at PV Case, the problem that's being solved and how Anderson is a good fit? To give a little context on you know who we are and what we do, basically Anderson Optimization, we're the leading software provider in the United States to help automate early stage renewable site selection. So finding the actual sites to go put these solar farms on that PV case is actually laying out those panels and doing the engineering work for. And I'd say, like David mentioned, when we were starting this, we saw very similar processes. We saw this overarching site selection process, which was rife with a lot of manual effort, a lot of human error. It was done by 10, 15 different tools to do this, what we thought of as one single step. But when we were really evaluating that and getting started, we always took sort of a long-term point of view of where do we really want to go? And what we were quickly identifying was while site selection used to be 10 to 15 steps, it was really one step part of a broader value chain, which actually mm-hmm. has five to six steps of itself. And that was what we would think of as the broader end-to-end renewable development and engineering life cycle and that value chain. So that's figuring out where in the grid you can interconnect, finding your site, which is that site selection, and then actually doing the design and engineering where PB Case comes in. So when David and I first met and started talking about it, it was very quickly apparent that we viewed this in a very similar way. We had each found ways to create software that automated what used to be many steps of one step of this Mm -hmm. broader value chain, but to really get where the energy, renewable energy industry is looking to go with the dramatic acceleration that we need, we now need to take that actual value chain, which is five to six different steps and turn that all into one step. And instead of trying to build that all out. You know, PV case is mm-hmm. the clear leader at what they do. We like to think that we're the clear leader at what we do. So it's a very clear synergy to say, let's bring these two very complementary softwares together to help start to give the mm-hmm. energy industry this one common backbone that eliminates the data risk and allows it to really operate as a single consolidated value chain rather than all of these disparate steps. So the folks are clear you know, my friend Kyle Cherick uh, at Electrum, he, com- he has said for years and kind of maybe is the progenitor of the hashtag solar is eating the world um, and also software is eating the world <laughs> is something that's very, a very common um, term. The solar industry for the uninitiated is broken into, broadly speaking, three or maybe four verticals, residential, commercial, industrial. If we had the fourth vertical being community solar, which is really um, like micro utility, different similar but different virtual power plant or virtual net metering and and different off takers and then utility scale lots when i started utility scale was kind of anything over one megawatt these days distributed utility or dg is kind of under 20 megawatts as defined by most of the utilities and then there's the big the large scale plants what i hear is that the the development cycle development process for let's call it five megawatts and above and this is debatable and arguable it's not the point of of the conversation but kind of five megawatts and above it all has to do with finding large tracts of land and capturing value by determining how to interconnect a power plant that is built on that large tract of land. So you have to find the land site selection. You have to get the interconnection approved, which we know is the number one in the United States 
pinch point in the success of a project. Um, the queue for interconnection is dreadfully long, and that's why Anderson Op- Optimization is a valuable uh, business um, for PVKs and also for developers. <clears throat> and then you have to engineer a solution once you've got site selection and you know, view, uh, view to close on interconnection. And that is where PVKs does the heavy lifting. So if it's unclear, there are tools that you probably are familiar with. If you're unfamiliar with PVKs, like Aurora, PV Complete, and others that do this on the residential and the commercial industrial side. And there are tools as well um, on the utility scale side, mainly in the past built by manufacturers to help pull product through that help you design and automate the process for designing utility scale solar and you know getting all the engineering done in a more automated way. That's what we're talking about here. And the introduction of Jake is showing how companies like PV case see an opportunity to build a more, I used the term earlier, end to end solution. And the, the process of site selection is part and parcel <laughs> to the process of designing a project. We, we had a conversation last year with the founder of, um, is it Sunfig, um, now part of TerraSmart, that talked about how hard it is to optimize and where the data risk is, to use your term, Jake, in actually designing these projects in a less than manual way, not with a human engineering, but with all the data that we understand about how engineering works. I want to just pause there and see, David, have I done a decent job of summarizing to, so far what it is, what the product is at a macro level? Yeah, very much. You're okay. a real professional. Well, we couldn't hire you <laughs> for a sales position. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. I'm, I'm actually, I appreciate that. I'm not, and I'm not looking for the kudos. I just want to make sure part of my job is to distill this and help others understand. Because if they haven't thus far in, in the first 10 minutes, I want to make sure before they go any further that they're clear on why they want to stick around. And I mentioned others. Were there solutions as you looked around, David? Clearly, you, you decided to create this on your own. But kind of what existed as you were creating PV case that, that you could have turned to, or what did the market look like at that time? It was a bit different than it's now. Uh, naturally, mm-hmm. it was few automation tools available in the market. Mm-hmm. As you said correctly, uh, those being developed by either tracker manufacturers or framing manufacturers, yeah. and they've been specific for that either region or that product. So right. it was good serving that purpose for that specific client or, or manufacturer, but not for the client that we work because developers right. and engineers, they want, they, they want unnamed data, let's say. They want to use different type of parameters, different type of frame, different type of yeah. parameters, and then optimize which one is the best and then go to order them. Right. So we changed that. We kind of unlocked that feature for them that right. was not available in the market before. Have you been curious about utility scale storage? SunGrow's revolutionary liquid cooled solution is revolutionizing the storage landscape. It's built in DC to DC coupling combined with other features like higher Energy density and 3% slower battery degradation make it a robust solution that companies nationwide are choosing. You can learn more about this innovative solution by SunGrow by visiting mysuncast.com forward slash SunGrow. Hey, pardon the interruption, but I wanted to just let you know how much of an impact you 
have on Suncast. Yeah, you. Thank you for clicking play. Without you, this show is just me shouting into the void. But there's still people who don't even know about Suncast. I know. I can hardly believe it myself. (laughs) But that's where you can help me yet again. There's a simple way that you can show some love and help others discover the show. If you cruise over to www.ratethispodcast.com forward slash suncast. I'd love it if you would leave a five-star rating and enthusiastic review. That's possibly the single kindest thing that you could do for me today. So if the show has helped, inspired, or even entertained you at all, I'd love it if you would head over to ratethispodcast.com forward slash suncast and give me a virtual two thumbs up. All right, back to today's episode. Is there anything as you think back over the last four or five years that needed to be true? Timing for an entrepreneur is everything. What needed to be true for PVKs to succeed? And you are wildly succeeding right now. We are all, uh, you know, sort of standing in, and I'll say in, in, at, the, at the risk of flattery here, standing in awe of the success that you're achieving, identifying a way to solve a problem that everyone knew existed. Um, and sort of building a better mousetrap, what needed to exist in order for that to, to happen for you, for the, the right thing, the chemistry to come together? Oof, that's a tough one because there's many, many different steps you need to make yeah. to, to be in the place, be at the position and uh, know how people, but I would start, I was lucky enough to start working in solar that early in 2009. Yeah. So we have this internal joke that I still call myself young, um, but I'm you are still young, veteran in solar, and because I started so early. So I saw when you said that five megawatt power plants, right? So when I started in Europe, less than megawatt was like almost breaking records. Yeah, on, on like a, on the ground uh, built. Um, so that was interesting to see the progression and. I think the, one of the key factors was that predictions versus reality. Mm-hmm. Solar was always on the side. It's nice to have. Nobody was, yeah, some of the, some of the companies were looking at it more, but it was still not the hot topic. Right. right. But then all the predictions done by all these you know, big fours show that they've been super pessimistic. So mm-hmm. each year the growth of solar was even higher and higher and higher. Mm. So keeping to those. 30, 40% growth year over year. What that gave, it gave a lot of capital to the market. Yeah. And naturally that sparks, you know, new talent coming to the market, new products, R&D, and all that gave, gave these ideas of myself starting consultancy. Why not to help other companies to go faster than how yeah. to automate, how to build great team members. So it's so many different steps that it's really... It's a good place and timing at the same time. I met my co-founder by accident over like social media. Uh, and wow. He is American guy, Douglas Geist. Uh, I used to run sales organizations in, in the US. So also finding him, becoming friends. Now it's like Wait, in, in 11 years late, later. 
certain company. I got to drill down on this. Where, like <laughs> you met him by accident <laughs> online. You got you to gotta unpack that one, man. <laughs> oh my story. God. <laughs> I love watching Jake laugh at this one. This is great. He, he knows the story. He knows the story. I do. Uh, tell it. I know Doug loves to, to tell that story. So <laughs> it was actually 11 years ago, like as of today, maybe one, one day uh, uh, later. It was a starry night, not a cloud in the sky. <laughs> Almost. I was walking. Okay. Oh, sorry, oh, keep going, oh, David. <laughs> you couldn't like, in these things, maybe it's a bit different, but 11 years ago, imagine like Instagram and Facebook not being that super popular, at least in, in Europe. Um, and I, I lived in Germany at that time. I was traveling a lot back to Lithuania where... <laughs> Uh, Sorry, that felt right. <laughs> Good timing. Uh, and I was coming back to Lithuania quite a bit because I was building a consultancy here. And I was like seeing how Lithuania changed and me not being in Lithuania for such a long time. New restaurants, yeah. new, new nice places. So I started following different type of people on Instagram that post like web where they go dinner museums and all that uh so we started like you know following each other uh and uh started chatting uh with uh one woman called simona after several months i said let's let's meet for that dinner i will invite my wife will you'll come with your second half and this is how i met doug 11 years ago as of wow actually because i think because he's the partner of a Lithuanian Instagram influencer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Yes. That's great. And he was living in Lithuania for, I mean, he relocated from, from the US to Lithuania, was working remote um, to the company there. And I was always trying to headhunt him to join my consultancy business to yeah. end of sales. But he was like, man, consultancy and not that sexy. Um, but then, you know, when I started speaking about software, B2B, SaaS, he was super excited and, and finally joined. So super happy to have him. <laughs> That's amazing. I'm so glad that we got to that story. <laughs> now you and Doug, along with a wonderful team in Lithuania and increasingly abroad, um, have attracted some tremendous talent and along with that talent, some rather impressive capital. Uh, I mentioned in the outset, and I want to, before we dive into kind of the the background for you and a little more about the technology and the love fest with Jake, um, there are some funding milestones that really are noteworthy. In 2021, you raised a Series A, 23 million at the time, the largest uh, raise in the EU for solar software, which is not insignificant. I mean, uh, at the time, a Series A in 21 for 23 million is an outsized Series A. Um, I'm guessing it was probably oversubscribed as well. You just announced a hundred million series B. Uh, could you talk a bit about the, the funding milestones and some of the accomplishments and as a platform that led you to, uh, achieve those that, that convinced investors you were headed in the right direction? Okay. Yes. Um, Wow. Uh, so five years. Well, yeah. When we started PVPs, we always said that we want to build sustainable business and what that, what that means, right? 
So mm. we want to build sustainable business looking from the angle of that we want to be profitable and not wait to be profitable, you know, mm. later. So we managed to be break even and then profitable after three months when we started. Wow. And yeah. we, uh, we still are. So we continue the same journey for the past five years. So it's not, not typical for like, you know, startup and VC world. Um, so in, you know, 2021, where the key message coming from the VC world was growth at any cost. Yeah. Being completely on the opposite side, saying that, look, okay, we can grow fast. We are still growing very fast, but in the sustainable way as we can. Yeah. yeah. I want to, I want to stop and point out that for anyone who listened to Andrea Barber's episode from Rated Power, it is eerily similar. And which is to say you're in the right lane when you need to raise money, but you get to profitability after three months and you can sort of stock that, suck that money away. Right. It's, it's now, um, at the time I was just like, wow, that seems like an aberration, right? How did they get to profitability in three months? But hearing you say it with a very similar business, not the same business, but a similar business it just underscores, uh, that there is there, well, there's more I want to dig into, but that is a really, really interesting uh, precept for us to get to sustainability as profitability mm. in an industry where traditionally, as you said, you raise a shit ton of other people's money and you spend it for years until you get to profitability, <laughs> forego profitability at the co- for in, in, in honor of growth. Yeah. Okay. Keep going. I like your note about that because it gives a different perspective for different people. So let's say that talent, super experienced people, they like this concept of startup world. They don't like the concept of taking risks. Right. Where in our case was always, no, no guys, we, we are profitable. So it's not that we need to raise every six months to, you know, to be in the business. Amazing. Um, so that, that, that's a good note from your side that pick it up. Um, and, uh, the recent fundraising happened so successfully because I think when I'm looking back now, all those five years, I was trying to keep in touch with the investors that I want to take money from, or I want to work mm-hmm. with. So the, uh, the key takeaway after closing all that was that they looked what I was saying five years ago and my project yeah. or our team projections and what we delivered. Uh, and then it gave them comfort that we can deliver what we are predicting now in the next five years and still be mm. not profitable. So for them, it's like being in solar, uh, being B2B SaaS, being global, because we never, we never did a sandbox. That's also very interesting. We never did test run in one country or one continent. We started, and I think a year later or two years later, we had clients from 80 countries. So from Japan to Brazil, US, Canada, everywhere. So it was like, you know, broad spectrum of different clients, um, profitable, good talent, uh, high growth. You deliver what you're promising Mm. and we're just good people. (laughs) So that's amazing. That was, I want to, I just want to highlight that, um, it's a great counterpoint 
<clears throat> without making direct references to other businesses, it's a great counterpoint to how peers of yours have built their business. Similarly profitable, similarly focused, but a bit, I would call it compared with your approach, reserved about market expansion, right? Mm. Testing, uh, potentially over-testing, potentially over-focused on solving one use case, right? So there's a delicate balance as an entrepreneur, how to decide when to expand, right? When to spend your service offering, when to expand regionally. Um, and, you know, there's a, there, there is a certain argument. Um, we've said it here before. There are like one of, one of the fundamental precepts that I've learned over 600 episodes is most entrepreneurs don't raise enough money and they don't raise it soon enough. You solve that. <laughs> and the, the really good entrepreneurs that I've met um, they raise plenty of money and they never have to touch it because they built a business model that's profitable, right? So they've got a nice cushion, which allows you to say, well, let's see where else we can take this. Maybe we aren't focused on the right market and you've got enough dry powder to test, right? So very, very cool. I mean, anyone who's been trying to raise money in the last 12 months is looking at your blistering success and, uh, and scratching their head. Uh, so I have to ask, how have investors' expectations of scaling companies changed in the last year in light of the fact that you just successfully raised an outsized round uh, in a down market? Mm. It changed quite a bit when I'm thinking about even our Series A and now B. Um, yeah. Different environment, different appetite, I would say. Different, um, different risk they want to take or not to take most mm. of the time now. Uh, they want that proof that you can be profitable at some point or pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, so they started looking at not just potential of that, but actual reality. How sure the C-level team or leadership team is. And now they, they used to speak with few people. Now they're speaking with all your leadership team for all the diligence process, that interesting angle. Yeah. To understand if, they, if we all on the same page. If we all understand data, if we all can predict what can happen, not only on how we are growing, but what's, you know, what are the challenges in the market, competitors, you know, and route, there's so many interesting angles that probably before they've been like, it's fine. We, it's fine. We'll make it. Right. Uh, so yeah. Right and they're bit. not, and they're not leaning on the genius of the leader. They're not leaning on uh, any sort of tailwind. They are very critical about, um, about judging the team's ability to work together and to hit metrics. Yeah, because it, it's what you said in the beginning of the call. It's, it's how credible are the people running the company to make it happen. And mm -hmm. that became a, a important. You can be in great market. You can be with tailwinds and on that growing market. You can be a good product. But execution is the main main factor. On that, uh, you know, around the time David and I met, we were getting courted by a lot of companies for investments similar, but the thing that, you know, put it simply to kind of David's point prior of being cash flow positive, things of that nature, you know, we were always a bootstrapped org, so that resonated with us. But I think, put simply, investors are now looking that you've got a business, not a fundraising machine, and a theoretical mm -hmm. idea which I think is different than the 20 teens where 
the 20 teens, it was, okay, at scale, this theoretical idea makes sense. And so we built a machine to tell this story really, really well. But then when you dig into the actual business, which is, are you selling something at a profitable scale that you can make? Uh, you know, a lot of companies weren't. So I think, you know, really yeah. speaks volumes to what PBKs and has really done here and the fact that it is a company that proved profitability and something that for us too, same thing, we were bootstrapped from day one. We never did raise money because we, you know, emphasize that. So put simply, I think com- investors are looking for real businesses uh, much more than they were yeah. six, seven years ago. I appreciate that perspective as well, Jake, because uh, I wonder if there is something that we could enunciate here around uh, what you've noticed that's changed about deploying capital. You know, the current financial environment has a lot of tension where more conservative investing trends are 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 rubbing against um, our need to scale scale the industry. So you now have what we might refer to as a war chest. <laughs> Is there anything that has changed in your strategy to deploy that capital given the current global economic uh, market? Um, so I see two ways. Uh, one, not about us, but the market itself. I think mm-hmm. um, renewables, especially solar, became a hottest topic. Um, IRA and all the other in- initiatives globally that more and more capital is coming to those markets um, to develop Mm -hmm. solar, but also to develop those tools. So it used to be like heavily private equity and growth equity funded, where now it's becoming that even banks are, you know, giving the money just to do something in in renewables that became quite Mm -hmm. interesting in recent years. Uh, where for us is more how we can internally accelerate the growth, not like just hiring, hiring people, what, but what other problems we can solve, what other products we can, mm-hmm. we can build, what other companies we can partner up with uh, to grow even faster. So it definitely gives this um, comfort and higher strategic angles how we can tackle those problems. David, I'd like to take a moment here and kind of back back out to 30,000 feet. You mentioned meeting Douglas, uh, your co-founder in Lithuania. It was a great story, um, but it brings me back to you as a Lithuanian um, growing up in Europe, different experience than most of us, uh, listening who, if statistics are right, are in the United States, at least my audience, and uh, I'd like to hear a bit about sort of the environment that you grew up in, because one of the things I try to to understand is kind of what drives you as an entrepreneur. So could you tell us a little bit about where you grew up and the kind of family? Were there early signs of entrepreneurship? Because it certainly seems like early in your career, you decided that entrepreneurship was the path you wanted to take. Could you give us a little bit of a glimpse in that? My family, so my dad is engineer, so I really want to be in engineering. Um, so I actually graduated as a mechanical engineer before, so nothing, you know, related to entrepreneurship or, or business. Mm-hmm. But while growing up, I was really interested in solving different type of problems. Um, so we started a few businesses with our friends, uh, in the early, early days. Uh, yeah. we actually started one of the first e-commerce stores or shops in, uh, Lithuania. So that was the okay. What'd you sell? First, uh, sorry. 
What'd you sell? Uh, so the idea was at that time, there were no like Amazon.com, right? In, 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 yeah. in Lithuania. So we kind of created something similar, just a bit like light version. Yeah. Uh, and we've been selling everything from, from laptops to TVs to microwaves, anything that was able to sell. And we've been so it. lean, just four or six of us. Uh, if somebody buys the product, we just deliver ourselves and it's a small, small business that was quite profitable actually. And it sparked these, you know, ideas when I think about like how to, you know, how to build businesses, how, how to make it, mm-hmm. like what teams you need to have. Uh, and then I started mm-hmm. studying a bit more then moved to, to London, started working for that solar company. And then it started again, like this mindset, okay, so what next can be done? Like how I can do different than that company was doing before. Mm. I started my own consultancy and it led to, to software development. So yeah, it's a nice path, definitely not the, um, not the easy one and not, yeah, I haven't done that for the first time. Uh, so it, it helped yeah. me for the, those, those years, definitely. Yeah. And it's fun to, you know, one of the things that folks neglect to, tr- to, to study, I've found they can, they admire the entrepreneur, they admire, you know, Mark Zuckerberg and they neglect to look deeper and understand that, um, the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world were early entrepreneurs. They had parents who supported that idea. They learned to code at eight, nine, 10 years old. And so it's not that they were lucky early. It's that they started earlier than you, right? They just started the game sooner than most people. By the time Mark Zuckerberg was 21, he had already been building businesses in his family business. He'd already been coding for his neighborhood and for his town, right? Mm. So what I see and what I hear from you is that there was a, there was evidence early that you were thinking about building teams, thinking about solving problems, and you were actually not just thinking about it, but taking action on it. I'm actually curious, what sparked the idea to go to London and work for this solar company? How'd that come about? You could have done anything. You're, you got an engineering degree. <laughs> uh, I had an opportunity to study in Finland for a bit. Uh, yeah. And uh, one of the most unpopular forces at that time was renewable energy. That of course it unpopular. Yes. <laughs> okay. So the smallest class. Yes. <laughs> smallest class of maybe eight people or something like that. Uh, and uh, we did this really interesting um, study of solar, wind, and wave energy, and how you know its efficiency changes in different locations. Uh, then when I moved to London, I thought it would be interesting to dig a bit deeper into engineering because wind quite simple wave energy is complex and they like different angles and yeah. solar was picking up. So I thought it's a good area for me to learn a bit more. Uh, and I was lucky enough to get a internship at that point at one solar development. company. Okay. Which one? It's called Envico. Uh, and I will say hi to Andy and Tom, my first bosses from there. Nice. Uh, still, still friends with them. I'm hopeful that we do have uh, Andy and Tom listening. Uh, that would mean that our, our UK listenership is growing. Feel free to share the episode with them. I'd be grateful for that. Thank you, Andy and Tom, for tuning in. Um, as we as we turn towards, and you painted the picture very eloquently early on of how PV Case 
came into existence. Uh, obviously, you went from that internship for built success upon success, worked um, into the process of building um, Detra that we mentioned earlier, which was a, a I think German um, installer built built based business, right? Developer business. Uh, it's a, it was a consult. It still is a consultancy business. Okay, gotcha. Right, and then PB Case uh, obviously spun out of um, out of that business, that consultancy. Do you remember the moment where? And uh, and I'm gonna ask, I'm gonna ask this of both you and Jake. Just put me at the point in time where you recall, like this is actually working. What we like to call product market fit, right? Like the okay, I think we can actually. If the more money we raise, the more money we'll make. Uh, like one dollar in, two dollars out. <laughs> Do you remember that moment in time? Jake, you can start with your story. <laughs> oh man, put me on the spot. Um, That's a good, yeah, I would say to a certain degree. Uh, so we spent, you know, because since we were bootstrapped, we wanted to really make sure we basically had product market fit from day one. Because mm-hmm. when you have zero dollars of capital, uh, you know, that makes it, you pretty much have to have that. So we had been doing a lot of just conversations, getting feedback, kind of showing off some beta versions. But it was kind of like May of 2018 that we quote unquote, like went to market. Um, and got mm-hmm. our first sale. But then it was within 60 days of that, we signed both AES and Baiwa, uh, which are you know, two very prominent developers, yeah. especially in the US. And it was kind of like, 60 oh, days. Well, within 60 days of our first, yeah, so we got our first yeah. sale in like May. And then by, uh, maybe it was more like, nah, it was based, that summer, I'd have to check, it was like July, I think it was somewhere in there. Um, yeah. yeah, we signed both of them. And it was like, well, if, you know, Baiwa and AES, are willing to take a shot on two guys with two laptops um, and, you know, this brand new software coming with no industry experience and zero connections. Like there must be something here to keep pursuing this. And we had had a lot of market research conversations of people just telling us how much of a pain site selection was. Um, mm. But yeah, I'd say once we got those two, we you know, that's kind of when we were yeah. off to the races, if you will. Cool. And David? So now I, I can build build on top of that, uh, and Viva will take the credit, so I'll mention them also. Um, there you go. Uh, this episode is unofficially brought to you by Viva. <laughs> Sponsored. Uh, go for it. Uh, so for us, it was a bit slightly different because we started building that uh, product in-house at the consultancy. Um, and uh, I had these, let's call it interesting calls with our, um, our clients, They've been started asking, you know, so David, how many engineers do you have in your, your consultancy? And I said, around 15, maybe. And they said, okay, okay. So how is it possible that you used to take a month to design a big power plant and now it's taking a week? So either you're not saying something because we have 50 engineers and they are delivering slower than you guys did. And I was like, yeah, so we have this small tool in-house that we developed. And everyone was like, oh, software, okay, can, can you do a demo? Can, you know, can you implement this feature? And it became like obvious. And it was not one instance. It was like many different clients from different geographies. But we started showing that software. And um, when we decided to do a spin-off, the first on-site demo we've done, uh, it was... October 2018, I think, a month later, Baiwa bought the first licenses uh, from Germany. Yeah. <laughs> Go Baiwa. Hi, Baiwa. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. It, and that, that, that became a good traction because when you have a big name uh, using your product, I was like, why, why we are not using it? 
because we are mm-hmm. yeah. for all those players. So it was yeah. a really good, good case try, definitely. Yeah, I'll, I'll further uh, support Baiwa as an early innovator. Uh, they were an early partner with my friend Etienne Lecomte and PowerHub, and they, of course, eventually acquired PowerHub. So Baiwa, there you go. You're getting a lot of free marketing here. <laughs> um, but it takes big market players like that who are willing to invest in and take risk on on these innovative platforms. Um, so I want to ask a, a, a slightly different question. And this is to you, Jake. As you, you know, look at someone who's been in the US market, survey the landscape, you started to notice the problem that we have is not really land siting, right? Getting these, um, getting these parcels appeared to be the sort of tip of spear, and indeed it is, but there is a deeper problem in the industry. You guys have been building a product to address that problem. Weave for me the um, sort of the narrative around the evolution of Anderson optimization and uh, as a result, what you are creating, why it makes perfect sense to be a part of the PVK's family. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to speak to that. And, you know, our story is kind of ironic in that the very first idea I have is kind of the second or later thing that we're actually building. So my co-founder, Eric, he got his PhD in what's called energy system modeling and optimization. Very jargon filled mouthful. But basically, he was studying the energy grid to understand how it operates and how power flows work, how the energy markets work, because to your point is nowadays with the way renewable energy has come onto the scene and how rapidly it's going, the grid is a lot more volatile and dynamic. And there's a lot more congestion yeah. in the grid, which is why you see Texas's grid blackout. So he was studying basically mathematical models to simulate how this all operates in a much more dynamic way. And he was getting recruited to industry to learn, you know, to bring this to market to really help better understand the grid and how it operates. But to build that as a two-person startup was not realistic. And so when we really started to go to the industry, we heard about, again, how much of a pain site selection was to fill this funnel of land. But now over the past several years, now that projects are getting early stage developed sooner, what we're really running into is that queues are so clogged. And for those listeners who don't know what the queues are, basically to get a solar farm set up, you basically have to apply to the grid to get your project mm-hmm. in. And right now there are significant, significant backlogs and lots and lots of what's called congestion, which means power literally can't move through the grid and understand where those bottlenecks are is requires these very advanced mathematical softwares. So basically yeah. what we did with site selection of really taking that process and automating it, well, now we're actually studying the grid to understand where is there actually capacity throughout the grid. Traditionally, mm-hmm. this was done by niche consultants taking you know three to eight weeks to turn around an Excel-based study, which you then had to take Excel and do your man, actually your site selection in a mapping format. So we've started to now digitize that, geolocate where these opportunity zones for interconnection are, so that when you're actually going to then find your sites and then subsequently do your engineering, you can feel confident that you actually can get that energy into the grid. So you can have a perfect project, but if the grid doesn't cooperate, it's somewhat of a meaningless mm-hmm. project. So we're really trying to take that full value chain perspective and the term- together. The terminology, if, I'm, if I remember, is injection studies, right? That's the yeah. sort of the colloquial term, injection studies. And you look for the points of interconnection and, uh, and what you guys are working on really are injection studies at all of the points of interconnection around the country, presumably. 
Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly the way to do it. So basically what an injection study is, is you go to a point of interconnection Mm -hmm. and you assess how much quote unquote capacity there is, which says I can inject this much energy prior to having to pay a bunch of money to upgrade this. Um, Traditionally, that's only been done at really the late stage because it's very, a lot of work, let's just say, to do it at every single point. And the other piece of it is the way you do these studies is uh, they're non-geolocated, which just mm-hmm. means it will say point of interconnection 10007 has 100 megawatts, but you have no idea where point of interconnection 10007 actually is. Yeah. So we've taken the time to actually geolocate where those are so you can use this more at the front end rather than having to wait to the very end. Yeah. So we're taking these injection studies we made the modeling such that we can do it at scale across every POI point of interconnection mm-hmm. and then also geolocating these so that you can use this much early in your process and tie it fully into the value chain. Yeah, that's super insightful for me to kind of think about that. And, and what I hear you saying is something that I've been hearing a lot in all of my developer friends, which is where we used to, and you enunciated this thing, site selection is step one, actually interconnection is step one. So we've introduced... Um, point of interconnection, uh, injection study, um, optimization. Uh, I'd like to hear, David, from you there. There's a lot of lexicon that as a software company, you kind of have to manage. Uh, the end goal ultimately would be to to nest an idea in the your presumed customer's mind that they go looking for. Um, you've built an end-to-end platform, AO, obviously complementing how you deliver on the full cycle of development from uh, point of connection and, and site selection all the way through to plan sets. Um, what uh, terminology are you keying in on or have you created or reinforced to really capture Mindshare around the, the core value of the PBK's model? Mm-hmm. We, we've been spending quite a bit of time of how to not over complicating things uh, mm-hmm. or using, you know, complex language since we need to be global and, you know, both sides of the pond needs to understand what we are saying. So we have been amplifying this um, data risk quite recently and building a thesis on that, that being together in this end-to-end platform, we, our clients can avoid data risk, meaning that when it flows from one software to the other, when it's one, uh, under one roof, you're not losing data. That's a huge undertaking. I think it's a huge problem in the industry itself because normally in the recent or the last 10 years or even more, everyone is just export, import, as you're probably doing, you know, not in solar, any other industry, Excel. Mm-hmm. Losing data, not matching data, doing everything manually. So we definitely can make this process more smooth for our clients and more like streamlined. Data risk. I love it. How to not overcomplicate things, but you're losing data points because the old way of doing things required manual handling and inputting and uh, sort of extrapolating of data. So as we teach the machines to help us, um, we improve, uh, we improve our ability to minimize or mitigate data risk. I like that. That's really very good. Okay. All right, guys, we got to turn towards home base. I'd love to spend another hour with you. Certainly have to have you back on the show. This has been a fascinating look into how 
one of Europe's fastest growing software companies writ large, but certainly in the solar industry, uh, is thinking about helping our global energy transition. Um, David, if you think back to the process you've been through over the last 10 plus years as an entrepreneur, is there any particular mentor that stands out to you who really had an outsized impact on the way that you think about building your business? And could you key in on some of the advice that you've gleaned that might be helpful for others that are in that position, the similar position as you were a few years ago? Yes. Um, I have one mentor uh, that is not officially a mentor, but he helped me so much uh, in the beginning of my career when I started building that trust solar consultancy business. Uh, so his name is Paul Belmont. Hi, Paul. Uh, he's based in London. Uh, so he, uh, I was speaking with him a lot. He, he's a growth director in one of the firms helping uh, to grow companies. Mm-hmm. And he said, he, and the biggest advice he gave me was, you need to be different. Your consultancy needs to be different. And I was like, okay, that's easy, right? Uh, how? Uh, and <laughs> yeah. he said, try to utilize all the know-how you created with the team in something. Most of the time that is done by creating the IP or software. Um, this is how we started it was, that's the biggest, biggest move that I remember. Okay. So what I heard you say is be intentional about capturing the knowledge that you've acquired and distilling it into software. Correct. Yes. Wow. Key. Thank you, Paul Dillman for mentoring the rest of us through David. That was really cool advice. Jake, same question to you. Yeah, great question. Um, so for us from early days, uh, we've had kind of one advice. We've had a couple, but we have one advisor who's been really with us uh, since day one. His name is Barry Johnson. He's created and sold a couple software companies uh, throughout. So I'm trying to think of any one piece of advice. And I don't know if there was any one piece of advice, but it was really critical for us from day one to have someone who has seen the entire life cycle going from start to finish. But I think one of the things that he was very keen on, because he came from more of a, call it on-prem custom software build versus a SaaS build, he was always operating with those pure business tactics in mind. So very early on, we had the discussion about, you know, do we go do, you know, raise a seed and kind of the the raise versus the bootstrapped approach. And we had a lot of conversations. And, you know, Mm -hmm. from his point of view, as he kind of gave us the general thoughts of, at the end of the day, you're ultimately going to have to create a real business, not just a fundraising machine. Mm-hmm. So actually do that. You have the skill set where you've got a cousin who is a true builder, myself of the business person. He said, you know, that's plenty to, in theory, get something that you can actually start pitching, getting real feedback from real customers mm-hmm. rather than a boardroom setting. So he was very critical in helping us say, you know, let's actually let's not raise money. Let's actually go try to build a product that we can actually sell and get feedback. So it wasn't anyone, but really crafting that methodology of not thinking of business as raising money, which I'd say, you know, in the the 20 teens, that's, I think a lot of the way people were thinking in tech, but really, yeah. What can you actually scale to something that makes money? You know, that is very good advice 
And what I also heard is, and I, and I want to follow it with a question. I heard you say, yeah. go find someone who has the experience that you need, who is at the finish line and can help coach you to get how to get there. How did you therefore find Barry? Was it happenstance? Was it um, an introduction? How'd you go about getting to that person? Yeah, absolutely. So we were fairly lucky. So kind of an interesting part of our story. So uh, Eric, my cousin and I, uh, our dads actually uh, started and have exited uh, a company of their own, a totally different industry, uh, but they were business partners back Mm -hmm. in the day um, and started a successful company. And so they had hired Barry's software company to build their sort of internal ERP system way back in the day. Uh, And so they had maintained dialogue. So Eric's, uh, my uncle, Eric's dad said, Hey, you know, I know this guy who has started and sold software companies made the intro way back. And then we, you know, took the dialogue from there. So, you know, fully acknowledge our uh, lucky position there. But I would say when I was in college, you know, studied entrepreneurship as well. Um, And I'd say for people who don't necessarily have the genetic lottery, let's call it in that sense, you know, academia is a great place. Uh, Most universities have entrepreneurship programs now. And I would say it's mostly people who have done it before. So I early on was still consistently reaching out to my old professors for various intros as well. So, um, you know, that was another thing that was definitely critical for us. I love that. I'm, I'm enjoying this dual interview right now because there's such a good perspective and so I'm going to carry it into the learning leadership and legacies legacy segment. Uh, I, I'm going to ask you both. So, uh, David, now you get a chance to take a break and I put Jake on the spot. Jake, what do you geek out about when you're not thinking about you know, improving your energy grid? Oh, man. Uh, so I'm a big uh, <laughs> uh, I'm a big, you know, movie TV fan. So I'm always kind of keeping up to date on the latest, uh, you know, movies, et cetera. So Mm -hmm. that's more of, I'd say, call it the, uh, you know, fun hobby hobby side. I think from the work side of the coin that is, you know, tangentially related to work, but not uh, directly involved with PBK slash AO is more about um, kind of in the funding environment kind of like we've always talked already been talking about but how the overall macroeconomic environment is changing the funding strategy and just the way entrepreneurship i've all you know i went to college for entrepreneurship i always wanted to start my own company so kind of seeing the overarching trends of this going from Mm -hmm. you know historically it was business forward models then it went to more fundraising models so really kind Mm -hmm. of you know, just following the overall trends of kind of the venture world and how that is ch- changing. I'm always following those. So, okay, David and I uh, both I have this question. What is the, what's the, be- the, maybe the key resource that has been the place that you go, right? So you've identified that this is your sort of work tangential hobby. And so I'm curious if I could jump on the fast train to like learn and leverage your hobby to help me accelerate my learning, where would you put, where would you point me? Right. So like I learn about, um, mental models. And if anybody asks me, how do I learn about mental models as fast as possible? Point them to Farnham street, right? There's no better resource on the planet than what Farnham street has created. Is there a similar thing for you in investment? Ooh, great question. So I think it's like, you know, broader entrepreneurship venture realm. So, I mean, I, can't say there's anything super unique. It's all of the kind of traditional places you, you know, following the big blogs, your tech crunches, your you know, business insiders, uh-huh. fortunes, you kind of all of those. And then you, from there, you kind of see different logos or different 
companies that I've yeah. seen to pop. And then good old fashioned Google, go check those out, find them on LinkedIn. Yeah. Then usually they're publishing something through their marketing channels. And oh, I was cool. I was on Suncast or, you know, X, Y, or Z yeah, pod. So then you can follow it through there. And then you're, you know, soon pulling a thread. Or if you want to go yeah. the inverse, of course, there's all sorts of good podcasts, like how I built this, um, mm-hmm. things such as that, nice. where you can find a company that way and, and kind of go the reverse direction. So can't say anything awesome. super novel, but, you know, all the different channels. That's okay. That's okay. I'll share, I'll share one that uh, you mentioned that I consider a life hack. So I may, I may introduce this as a question that I recur, come back at as recurring, but I have a bunch of subscriptions, but they're very specific. Uh, I am very explicit on where I consume media and Business Insider is one of the subscriptions I'm super grateful for because I'm in the process of raising money. That's one of the reasons why I get on calls with you guys. Um, but Business Insider has probably one of the best repositories beyond Pitch Deck, obviously, of Pitch Decks. Right. And it's a much lower threshold of entry than pitch deck to study successful entrepreneur pitch decks. So there's a little life hack for anybody that is trying to study them and can't afford pitch book or doesn't want to. Uh, you're not a professional pitch builder. Um, Businesser has a remarkable, um, a remarkable uh, repository. Another that is um, little known as Slide Bean. It's this amazing entrepreneur out of Costa Rica who has built his entire business on helping entrepreneurs build slide decks to pitch and build their business. Um, so there's two. David, uh, I guess we're going to sort of modify this. What do you nerd about, about nerd out about and uh, sort of give us a life hack out of that? Mm, life hack. So two things, I guess. I'm not sure if you see the background. I have these uh, Lego models. Um, the oh, series. yeah. Is that car a, a, a Lego model? Yes. Yeah, Techmium. They're tech, what do they call it? Tech. My kids love these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a bit more challenging to build. Uh, yeah. But I'm doing that with my kid. Uh, nice. Just buying, I don't know how many Legos we have. So now I started bringing back to the office because there's no more space at home. That's wonderful. Uh, but it's really, for me, it's more um, process, meditation. So yeah. you're into it, especially with these like a complicated ones. You, you cannot make mistakes. Mm. If you do a mistake, then it will cost you three hours to untangle everything yeah. from the scratch. Um, so I really love Lego. Um, and then the second one that I really, really enjoy and reading quite a bit and studying is um, interior design. Oh, So it's lucky that I'm able to combine that with the, uh, the, with the current business because we are opening these beautiful offices in different locations. And, uh, I always work with our architects together on, on yeah. like pieces that we want to put in the office and reading about it and why this costs that much. And like, why is this different? Where it's coming from is from like sustainable materials, like the approach we did here in the office in Vilnius, where I sit now that most of the furniture was done and sourced uh, from Lithuania. Uh, okay. Supporting locals. Uh, and then, you know, thinking about sustainable materials, what type of materials we need to use. And uh, yeah, so I can geeking a bit, not, not a bit, geeking a lot <laughs> on that. <laughs> That's fantastic. You also, uh, I, brought, I noticed this in our first call, have this, uh, astronaut over your shoulder. Uh, I presume you have a bit of a fascination with outer space. Yes. Yes. So I'm really, uh, 
I wouldn't say upset, but I'm, I'm, I'm surprised about hearing these news about UFOs and all those secret documents and there's no, no big fuss about it. Like everyone's yeah. Yeah, no big deal. It's remarkable, right? <laughs> like an entire, an entire hundreds of thousands of dollars are spent by Congress in the United States to talk about this whole phenomenon. And it got like a half a day's news at best. Yeah. <laughs> so well, definitely I'm into that. and really. really yeah. Uh, so along the lines, uh, I'd like one from each of you, um, a, a book or similar resource that you routinely refer back to that is. Um, for you, a source of wisdom, and you've shared it. You've given it out as an example of how it can improve other people's lives. Jake, we'll go with you first, and then David. Yeah, for sure. So kind of going back to that last one, and I failed to mention it, uh, very cliche, but I'm a big fan of The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. Yeah. Um, I recommended that to many a people, um, especially as they're starting to consider doing something there on their own, even if it's not mm-hmm. a full company or trying to go into entrepreneurship. Um, you know, I think what I really have drawn to with that book is it does a good job of showing that even things that can seem really big and daunting, if you just kind of take it step by step and really focus on what matters versus everything that it could be, uh, it's much more accessible. So that's definitely the one I Minimum recommend. Minimum viable dose. Indeed. <laughs> yep. I'm a huge, everyone uh, who, kn- who knows me knows I'm a huge Tim Ferriss fan. Uh, I wear it on my sleeve. So, hey, David, um, I think I recall that you're a movie buff. So I'll let you go with either a book or a movie that has most influenced you. Not the recent one. I, I, I read it quite, quite some time ago, or actually listened up on Audible. Uh, we call that uh, reading today. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, it's the um, Hard Things About Hard Things. Oh, yeah. Uh, ben Horowitz, definitely a good one. I listened that to several times. Uh, each time you listen, you kind of, take something different from the book that mm-hmm. I kind of enjoyed. Uh, and recently I started reading or listening the uh, uh, Amp It Up uh, book. Right. Why? I have it here. Frank Slutman. There you yes. go. You told me uh, it yesterday. So the book was recommended by John Tuff from Energize, our new investor. So shout out to him. Uh, yeah. Really, really good one. Definitely recommend that. It gives from like first hour and gives so many good, good, good insights. Yeah. And for those who are unfamiliar, uh, Frank Slipman was the founder of Snowflake, the hyper growth uh, software that went public and had an unbelievable unicorn ride. Um, and, and this is his, his sort of capturing all of the things that he learned both from, I think, his first venture and Snowflake, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. So, Great fascinating. recommendation. And he gives a, like, insights, you know, how to do certain things. Um it's yeah, I definitely recommend that. Amazing. So the uh, the really quite a old old movie. It's called Butterfly Effect. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a bit. It gives you a fruit for thought about how small things can influence or change your future. Mm. So it depends how you look at it. Is it like personal life, career, and all that? It just I always remember. Like yeah, I recommend. It's not a new one. I've not watched it and you've now gotten me intrigued, um, especially uh, given some of the, you know, the, if, if you think about it, reading the hard thing about hard things and watching butterfly effect, it put, it, it is programming for the mind mm-hmm. <laughs> in very specific, in a very specific direction. David and Jake, uh, your time is super valuable. I'm really grateful 
to have had a chance to have you here on the show. Uh, as we wrap, how do you like to be found? Where can folks better best learn about PVKs and AO and engage with you? For me personally, the best is LinkedIn. Okay. I'm like, I even have the allocated time in my calendar every day to read full messages. Oh, wow. And all that. Um, so um, it, it's, it'll be the best. Just drop me a message. I'm always available to, to chat for, um, I mean, then emails. Emails, slower, but it's always reaching me, piles up in the, in the folder somewhere uh, for to read later. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, Jake? Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> Same type of social channels. LinkedIn is by far the social I'm on the most. I'm LinkedIn yeah. dash in slash Jake B. Anderson 321. Uh, or if you just Perfect. Google Jake Anderson, LinkedIn, Anderson Ops, uh, it will almost assuredly get you there. But just Love pure it. Jake Anderson, probably not. And then, yeah, email as well, Jake at AndersonOps.com. But I think I'll be getting a PVK's email soon. So that might be. Uh, <laughs> there we go. We got to get working on that, David. Okay, guys, um, I, I'm going to direct this one uh, to you, David, to round this out. If we look out uh, at 2030 uh, and we've unlocked this, you know, big, hairy, audacious goal of, um, of like what the, what the IRA promises and uh, all that um, the developers in the United States around the world are expecting as terawatts of growth for solar, what did we get right to achieve it? Mindset. Hmm. Because I think from day one, it used to be nice to have, now it's must to have, and that needs to change globally for each of us uh, mm -hmm. to make it. Well, it's certain, certainly clear to me, and I think anyone who's listened this far, that Jake Anderson and David Chanovichus have the mindset, not only to help us achieve our clean energy goals, but to scale the energy transition and to put to use all the money that's been entrusted to them. David is the founder and CEO of PVKs. Jake is the founder and co-founder and CEO of Anderson Optimization, now a PVKs company. Guys, truly a, gen a generous uh, and joyful opportunity to meet with you guys and learn how you're building uh, one of the leading softwares in our industry. Thanks. Okay, Nico. Really enjoyed this. Thanks so much, Nico. Well, that's a wrap on today's journey, my friends. And thank you, thank you, thank you to... David Trenovicius and Jake Anderson. As well, thank you to Lindsay over at PBKs and the TigerCom team for helping make the introduction. Super grateful for getting to know this wonderful up and coming, in fact, crushing it entrepreneurial team. Did you learn anything that you didn't know before? I am going to bet that you did. I mean, look, I've done over 620 of these and I learned a ton. I was not engaging in excess flattery when I when I shared with David and Jake how much I truly wanted to learn and appreciated their sharing insights into not only how they've raised so much money and gotten such great traction in less time than it has taken me to create all these episodes on Suncast, but how the M&A journey worked and why it made sense to partner AO with PVKs. You know, there's more to unpack. So I have a feeling I'll have David and Jake back on the show. I've left all those brain droppings, notes, that insights that I've found, as well as the places where we got information in prep for this interview in the show notes. 
It should be easily linked right there in the description in the podcast player that you are listening to right now, unless of course you're on our website, in which case you don't need to know that you've got the show notes right there underneath the player. So peruse through them, connect with David and Jake, as they both said, they are on LinkedIn. I am as well. Find that post that we've made about this episode and drop your thoughts about what it is that this journey has left as an impression on you and how it's going to help you along in your career, my friend. We have more than 600 episodes just like this in the back catalog, which you can find at mysuncast.com. You can also just easily click on the message Nico or leave Nico a voicemail or set up a call, a clarity call with me. Maybe there's some way that we could collaborate together or I can help you along your journey. We are here as we have been for seven plus, almost eight years in service of you and this clean energy journey that you're on. Thank you to our sponsors who help make this possible entirely by paying for it so that you can listen for free. They have been wonderful and we are grateful. You can learn more about them at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. It's also how you can learn ways that you can reach thousands of solar warriors and clean tech champions just like yourself each and every week, twice a week. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.